Good afternoon, and welcome to Caregivers Speak. This is Marjorie Pat Steinmetz, your host. I want to welcome you all today on behalf of eCareDiary.com, our partner, and my website, MyCaregivingCoach.com. Today we have back a guest that you all know and love, Dr. John Guineri, uh, who has been our lead physician now for, I don't know, seven, eight, maybe more than that years. He's the past president of the medical staff at Florida Hospital, and he's currently director and chairman of healthcare and spirituality at Florida Hospital. Over the years, Dr. G and I have talked about a variety of topics affecting caregivers, and he's always comes to us with great wisdom. Today, we're going to be doing one of our favorite topics. In fact, it's a topic that Dr. Guineri and I have done in live seminar, and it's all about caregiver. And um, so Dr. Guineri is going to take us through what that's all about. So caregiver tensions, we all have these things, and are they normal? And we want you to know none of you out there are not crazy if you're feeling those tensions today because they're with us all every day. So, Dr. Guineri, welcome back. Well, thank you, and thank you for that kind introduction as well, Marjorie. You know, attention reminds me of, you know, that old Excedrin headache thing and or a migraine. Is this what's meant by a caregiver tension? Fill us in on that. Well, the imagery that uh, kind of helps me with that is thinking about a rubber band. And you could have a rubber band in one hand, and it, it's there kind of listless and kind of flaccid. But if you take it in one hand and then grasp the other part of it with the other hand, you begin to stretch it, and you begin to have a little bit of tension. Mm-hmm, Sometimes you could stretch it even more, and the tension on it increases. Sometimes you could stretch it to just about its limit, or you could go past that limit and it'll pop on you. So I think a lot of times in talking to and dealing with caregivers, that's how they feel sometimes. Also, what I see is that I just was in a two-directional mode with that rubber band. Sometimes they feel pushed in three and four different Direction, so you could imagine how that rubber band could break even more quickly. Absolutely, and everybody listening out there knows what that means—two and three and four directions. And today, a little bit later here in our interview, we're going to talk about a day in the life of a caregiver and how those tensions can come into play. Um, so, what causes this kind of constant caregiver tension, Dr. G? Well, as the caregiver enters into that role and usually it comes upon them spontaneously with their loved one being diagnosed with a serious diagnosis and certainly it could be cancer, it could be oh, end-stage disease for the heart or kidneys or liver or some of the other organs as well. And so they enter this new new world, if you will, the new reality for them, and and it's it doesn't have any orientation to it. So right there, it becomes stressful of where I'm going with this situation. And on top of that, it can be an unpredictable situation. 
So those are two of the, I think, the fundamental reasons that uh, caregivers have tension right from the very start. Yes. The uncertainty of any given disease, and often, as you and I have discussed on this program, um, it isn't always a precise diagnosis. The doctor doesn't always know for sure exactly uh, the plan of action. And so that brings uncertainty as well, right? Absolutely. And in fact, as they go through the journey into that diagnosis, other problems may happen uh, physically as well. I'll never forget the case of a patient that was diagnosed with uh, bowel cancer, but in a similar vein about four months down the road, because of the stress that the patient was going through with that, that individual developed a bleeding ulcer. On top of that, had to be admitted suddenly. Of course, the caregiver, the wife, was not sure whether he was going to even make it at that point. Uh, so those, they live with that uncertainty from moment to moment. Yes. And you have often, uh, you've helped me certainly, in thinking about uh, conflicting roles. And so even on a given relatively easy day, caregivers are always, in your words, caregivers are often choosing between autonomy or collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I found this very, very, a very good distinction. Tell us what you mean by this. Well, I think you start out as a caregiver, as a loved one for your loved one that is ill, to say, well, I'm going to take care of them. I, I will do everything I, I can uh, to help them in this journey. And, and I think what comes with that from the start is that I could do this alone. I love my uh, uh, my husband, let's say, in this case, so much that I can do this alone. But what they s- soon find out that it's not something that you could do alone. And on top of that, there are many resources out there to, to help caregivers. Right. And, um, you know, the, the whole notion of collaborating, and then if one does let collaboration into one's caregiving life, you've got a lot of different people that you can potentially collaborate with, doctors and friends and relatives, and that makes life more complicated. Yeah, so they end up flying by the seat of their pants, but they do realize <laughs> along the way that we, I really need help. And I think the sooner they realize that, the better off they'll be. And in fact, as their loved one who is ill sees the physician, I think those physicians sometimes when they realize they have a a caregiver with them, that they could even suggest um, assistance for the caregiver right from the start. That would be a huge leap. I must say that doesn't usually happen, but that's something that we would try to aim for within the healthcare industry. Oh, that's a really good point, is that if one can find that help from the very beginning, it becomes a way of life and, and can reduce tensions. That's really good. You, you know, uh, more within medicine these yeah. days, Marjorie, um, it is felt that not only do you care for the sick patient, but the family as well as they go through that. And the more you embrace that unit of the patient with family, uh, and what their needs are as caregivers as well, I, I think that helps not only the patient but the family in general as they take that challenging health journey. 
indeed. You often talk about holistic uh, caregiving and health care, and, and that's, that's it. Uh, but let me just introduce this note of attention here. Uh, you have also talked about patient-centered versus other-centered um, as caregivers are going about their day um, trying to do the best that they can, and that that can bring tension. So uh, let's say you've got a patient, and then you've got this whole family around. So how, what, what kind of tensions can come up there, even when it's a holistic, um, better for the caregiver generally, what kinds of tensions can come up there? Well, there is that uh, certainly the push and pull again on, on that rubber band uh, <laughs> that we gave you the picture of. And in this case, let's take an example of a daughter that's caring for her mom. Her mom has may have the beginning of dementia and wants to rally around her mom. But it also happens that uh, this daughter is also a wife and has two children and on top of that works as well. So boy, is she being pushed with other centricities, if you will. Um, being uh, caring for her children, the logistics of school and their needs, working and her accountability for that, uh, trying to be around for uh, her husband as well as they collaborate as a team family. And she's trying to stay centered with the caring for her mom and those issues. Imagine that, what that must feel like. Exactly. I've been there, and, and I know you have, too. Um, how, how, what are some tips for managing what you've just described? Because I know we have listeners out there today who are right in that very situation. Sure, on a... Uh, proximity basis, if you will, you're going to think about, well, is there family around that could help me? Uh, and that, of course, could be a loaded question, and you have to be careful with that because that actually can contribute to further tensions. If the there is not a good relationship, if the other members of the family are not willing or cannot, for whatever reasons, uh, be a, a help in the aid of the sick patient, um, also, friends may be a possibility. In addition, as you extend that out, you could think if they do have a faith community within the faith community that they can have resources within the faith community, be it individuals or, or, or committees, if you will, within the faith community to help out with that. Then we further look out and look at the uh, arenas within the community itself and organizations. Now, again, I think the uh, physician and his team could help with uh, pointing the patient and the caregiver in the right direction with those resources as well. As you and I know, uh, for instance, respite care is so vitally important, uh, along with many other things, but that, and there are many organizations, as you and I know in our town, there's uh, an organization that helps out with that tremendously. Yes, indeed. So I am now going to shift our conversation from all of these different avenues where caregivers can seek help and resource, 
And Dr. G and I are going to focus in now on uh, a day in the life of a caregiver. And I think what we're going to be giving you tips on now is how can two people, the caregiver and the care partner, in this case it's going to be a husband and wife, how can these two individuals help each other through their tensions on a given day? And so we're going to take you through that. Uh, Dr. G, our caregivers' names are who? What is our, who did we call them? How about uh, Joe and we, Carol, husband Joe and, and wife? Carol. And so let me just set the scene. Uh, Joe and Carol have uh, just gotten up. They're sitting down to breakfast. And um, Carol offers Joe um, some breakfast. She offers him some cereal. And Joe says, no, that's the wrong food. I don't feel like having cereal this morning. And he gets somewhat touchy, right? And so then Carol gets a little touchy, like, come on, you always like cereal. What's going on here? Dr. G, what kinds of suggestions would you give to Carol and Joe on this first big tension of the day that they're encountering? Well, first of all, you wonder what's really going on. Is it really the cereal? Probably not. <laughs> Is it uh, his frustration with his disease? Uh, does it have to do with maybe some chronic pain that he has that's not being relieved? And uh, he's uh, really demonstrating some displaced anger uh, towards his wife, unknowingly, probably. <clears throat> and... Uh, and causing that tension with his wife. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, of course, that's uh, making his wife not feel uh, appreciated. And, of course, that could escalate. But uh, um, she, she, I think, has to have a, a moment there to kind of stop herself from reacting, which could be very difficult at this point especially with all the frustrations she may be with at this point, with the fact that uh, um, she feels a need to be other-scented with other family members, perhaps, or even needing a break, what we call respite care, as well. So Carol might say something. What, what could she say to Joe that would relieve this tension? You know, uh, and that's what I was beginning to infer, that rather than her to react to uh, his slight of speech, if you will, but really to respond in the fact that instead of saying, well, you know, you could fix your own cereal, it could be <laughs> more of, you know, Joe, is it really bothering you about the cereal, or is there something else going on that you would like to talk about? Now, that, that takes a very loving discipline on uh, on Carol's part, but uh, and it could be challenging with all the things she is being challenged with as well. Uh, but that would be a, a good reaction in that respect, to respond rather than react to it. Yeah. That's a great, great tip, Dr. G. Um, you know, Carol could also, if he's wanting some specific food, just offer to go get something for him. I'll go to the store and get what you want. 
for breakfast this morning. Um, Surely, uh, and it and it may be that that simple um, as well. Um, and in fact, saying to them, "Yeah, well, let's go together and get the cereal, and we can both get some fresh air." <laughs> there we are, and we, you know we could each get a Starbucks coffee while we're at the store, and there you go. enjoy it on our on our way back home, and uh, take the care of the situation in that regard. Very true. Yeah, and then the other thing might be that you know, to your point, that during this process, this discussion. Bill might just come out with, well, you know, my back is really hurting me today. Or, you know, I'm I'm just not feeling well. And so the real thing might come out in in all of this. And then they can deal with that more directly. And if it's really a terminal disease with a poor prognosis and just thinking of, gee, I feel like I'm in this black tunnel and I don't see the light at the end even begin to realize that and to verbalize about it would be helpful to go in the right direction, not only to verbalize it with his wife, but maybe his wife to address that with a physician and or a psychologist as as well as he evolves through it, or even better, a palliative care physician. Yes. And so let's move on to uh, a doctor's appointment. Let's say that Joe and Carol now are after breakfast, going to go and have a doctor's appointment, regularly scheduled doctor's appointment at 10 o'clock, and they get there. And let me set the scene, Dr. G, the doctor is running late. So Earl and Joe are sitting there in the waiting room. We can all relate to that. And Carol notices that Joe is really in a great deal of discomfort, and increasingly so, as they sit there in the waiting room. Um, and Carol is feeling a lot of push and pull. Should she stay and wait for the doctor? Should she take Joe back home again? Or what should she do? And so help us with this, Dr. G. What, should, what are some things Carol can do to manage the tension that's building up in that waiting room? Of course, she could react and say in an open-ended way, okay, what do you want to do? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Right. That, that I think, will go nowhere, and the inflammatory tone uh, also may just lead to further uh, um, polarization of the conversation, if you will. Uh, I think giving him choices, such as, well, maybe we should see if we could see the nurse practitioner now while we're waiting for the doctor, or maybe we could go grab a bite to eat or get a cup of coffee at Starbucks, and come back a little later. Or, gee, do you want me to get one of your pain pills out and give that to you now as we're waiting for the physician? Uh, I, I think if you give him choices and show empathy, that would be helpful uh, in this type of situation rather than see it escalate into uh, an argument and then both stamping out. Yeah. In fact, as you said that, Dr. G., I was thinking that probably a lot of different situations where there are high tensions, that posing options, if one has options to pose, is a, always a very good rule of thumb. Mm. I truly believe that. Yes. Yeah. So um, magically, let's move on in this day with Joe and Carol. Magically, 
the, the door opens and the nurse says, the doctor will see you now. And so Carol and Joe get into the doctor's office. And the doctor says, so Joe, um, you know, tell me what's going on. And, the, and Joe says, well, I'm not really sure why I'm here. And then Carol throws up her arms in exasperation. And she explains what's been going on during the morning. And uh, Joe just kind of sits there and doesn't respond. What should Carol do or what should the doctor do? What I'm sure, Dr. G, you've had this situation many a time in your office. Mm-hmm. And although he realized what's going on, I would backtrack with him and say, well, Joe, you have been diagnosed with this stage three cancer. Uh, you're here for a follow-up visit. Uh, I know you finished your chemotherapy, but we want to see how you're coming along, uh, not only physically, but how you're doing with this emotionally. And again, that opens the door. Now, whether Joe or not uh, wants to take the lead and open that door even further to discuss it, uh, you and I are not sure. Uh, and as he may even hesitate, uh, maybe Carol uh, would say something. And at this point, if Joe does not respond to it, I think that would be rather appropriate. Again, getting back to the point that you're not only treating a patient, you're treating the family with the patient as well. Yes. And um, I like the fact that you that the, you uh, explain why he's here, reminding him this is why we have this appointment today and that that could be an effective way of getting him to talk. Um, Well, you don't, Marjorie, if I may interrupt you for a moment. I was just thinking, too, another thing the physician that he could do in a very loving but provocative way was to say, you know, Joe, uh, I know you're being real silent, is is that because you're angry, or is that because you're down and depressed? Or let's let's discuss it and actually address what the physician is feeling from from Joe, and the fact that the physician recognizes this and recognizes that he's dealing with a whole human being that is being compassionate. Joe may respond to that. That is a great suggestion. And, you know, uh, knowing you, I, you do this with caregivers as well. You would probably turn to Carol and say, tell me how you're feeling today and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and as that conversation started and appreciating that Carol is probably at her wit's end is addressing with her well, um, how is she caring for herself? Again, realizing and verbalizing in front of Joe that in order to be a good caregiver, you have to be in a, a well-being yourself. And 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 with the physician mentioning resources, again, that she could go to as far as respite care, as far as uh, maybe even having a... Uh, medical assistant come periodically a couple of times a week to the home to assist in this situation. Uh, you could carry this even further and and wonder if we're at the point where uh, a palliative care physician can assist the oncologist in this case 
with a, a suggestion for the quality of life of not only Joe, but for Carol as well. Yes, yes. These are just amazing suggestions because it's often, um, uh, we've been there, I've been there, I'm, all of our listeners have been there. It's often hard to see your options when you get in a rut like we're seeing Joe and Carol get in on this given day. And um, every day they can get in a deeper and deeper rut, and every day can play out the same way unless a caregiver and the care partner find a positive way to break out of that tension. And mm-hmm. I and you're giving us some some thoughts on, oh, these are other options that we could really look into. Um, it really helps crack that shell that they're in in order for them to see other things that that they can do. In fact, Marjorie, what I I would do towards the end of that conversation with the two of them is to say, okay, you know, let's see if we could prioritize the top three challenges you have and what we can do about it. And pausing, see what they suggest at that point. If they didn't say anything, uh, I think the physician could say, well, you know, Carol, you know, seeing um, the stress that you are under, why don't you think about respite care? And and can we look into getting you some caregivers' support as well? And, and Joe, with the way you're feeling, do you think it might be helpful to talk to someone about that? Or if you need, I can even prescribe some medication just for a short time until you're feeling better about yourself. I I love all of these wonderful tips. And the only thing that comes to my mind, Dr. G, is we probably have some listeners out there who are thinking, wow, I wish I had a Dr. G to be my doctor, to be our doctor, as we're going through this difficult time. Um, so if somebody doesn't have a Dr. G, um, what would you suggest when they get get themselves in this rut, um, what are some things that they can remember? Perhaps some of the tips from this show, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it sounds like uh, Carol and Joe have a good rapport with their phys- physicians, but uh, um, there are physicians that may be extremely busy and uh, can't or don't spend uh, enough time with their patients and not only dealing with their physical ailments, but the psychosocial challenges as well. And if patients uh, really feel that way, um, I think it's important that they um, respond to that back to the physician in a non-inflammatory way and say, gee, can we sit down in your office and talk to you, or can I speak to your um nurse practitioner, we have some other issues we'd like to go over, or can we reschedule an, uh, another appointment, or could you even call us within the next 24 hours so we can uh, tell you the other challenges we're dealing with that you think you can help That's us great. with. And picking out all those options, yes. That's yeah. terrific. You know, we're almost at the end of our show. I cannot believe this. You've given us so many wonderful tips, um, 
and ways to use those tips in the, the with our own physicians, um, with our families, and perhaps with sometimes a doctor who's busy, and we remind them, gosh, we need more of your time. Um, so one of the things that Dr. G and I want to also explore is strategies for dealing with tensions. And we've, we've suggested, Dr. G has suggested several today, but we want to explore that topic more at a later date. And we'll be doing that this fall. We'll let you know what that date is. But in the meantime, we hope that you listen back to the archive of the show, which should be up online in another day or two on both eCareDiary.com and MyCareGivingCoach.com. I want to thank you, Dr. G. Um, any My other pleasure. quick ideas before we leave? We're about a minute away from um, being done, but thank you so much. Anything else you'd like to share quickly with our audience? Yeah, one final thought, and that is uh, other physicians. That now, this is a fairly new specialty within the last four years. It's called palliative care, and palliative care physicians, what they really do with people that have serious uh, diseases and chronic diseases, they know they're not going to be able to cure them, but they want to give them the best quality of life that they could, not only physically, but uh, emotionally, and if needed to, to, to help them in the spiritual realm as well, uh, if needed. They're wonderful uh, physicians, and they can run parallel with the um, other physicians, be it an oncologist, a pulmonary specialist, or whatever. That is a wonderful tip, and thank you so much for all of your expertise, Dr. John Guaneri, and uh, to our listeners for tuning in today. And we will be seeing you again on the radio very soon. Goodbye. Thank you, Marjorie. Take care. Take care to you. Bye-bye.